Welcome to Narratives of Asia. This episode is part of a collaboration between UCL African Conference and UCL Asiatic Affairs, where students and professionals get around the table to connect and talk about Asia-Africa relations, specifically through the lens of China's influence and impact on Africa. In this collaboration, we seek to open constructive conversations on geopolitics and history that tie the two continents together. Hello everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Narratives of Asia. This episode will be the third episode of our collaboration between UCL African Conference and UCL Asiatic Affairs. As part of our mini-podcast series on China-Africa relations, in our third episode, we'll be looking further at China's involvement in Africa, but specifically ruminating over its apparent neocolonial practices. I'm Angela, Publications Officer at UCL Asiatic Affairs, and second-year European Social and Political Studies student at UCL. And I'll be the moderator for this discussion. Joining me today is Min Jing, one of the members of our writers group at Asiatic Affairs, and I'm joined by Larissa, Stephen and Lisa from UCL African Conference. If I could ask you all to please introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Larissa. I'm a second year law student at UCL and um, I am part of the logistics team of the UCL Africa Conference. I am uh, half German and half Cameroonian. Um, hey, I'm Stephen. I'm currently a second year mechanical engineering student at UCL. Um, I'm originally from Nigeria and I'm currently the co executive of the UCL Africa Conference. Hi, I'm Lisa. I'm a second year law student and I'm co-executive of UCLAC alongside Stephen and I'm also of Nigerian descent. Hi, I'm Min Jing. I'm a first year English student and I'm part of the writers group in Asiatic Affairs. So in our previous episodes, we've talked about the broader China-Africa project, we've talked about um, China's foreign policy towards Africa, um, and often has it been viewed in media that China's infrastructural practices in Africa are actually contemporary manifestations of neocolonialism, and this is practiced in Africa and also in other areas around the world. What are your initial thoughts on this? Um, I think there are two things that you should consider. One speaks for this thesis kind of, and one speaks against it. Um, one thing is what is definitely comparable to um, colonialism as we have seen it in history previously is that uh, China is um, using its projects in Africa in order to gain influence. And um, you can definitely see that China all in all is trying to become, or actually is becoming already, um, an international a global superpower. Because if you look very closely, it is much talked about when it happens in Africa, but it also happens in many other countries um, around the world, also in Western countries on a smaller scale, um, China is increasing its influence. That is definitely one vertical that you can compare. But on the other hand, I think one main aspect um, or characteristic of colonialism is um, that the purpose was the exploitation of the regions of the resources of the um, labor force. And that is not necessarily China's primary aim. So I think you can compare it, but uh, China's focus is much more on kind of the the picture and not as much on gaining resources and advancing its own economic status. 
Um, I would kind of disagree with Lewis's point because some of the debt that African countries are down to, for example, are backed by a natural resource. So if they don't pay back their debt, that means they have to give China um, natural resources such as copper, coal, um, oil, and so on. So I think some of the actions that China is doing is quite malicious in some sense because their idea is that they're trying to um, gain natural resources through countries defaulting on debt just to better their economy. Yeah, some have argued that like China's practices now resemble what um, European countries were doing in the past, with it now being neo-colonialism. So in the way that Stephen described, um, China is offering loans um, that are backed by resources and such resources will go back to China rather than benefiting just the general economy in Africa. Well, with that in mind, though, I think... There's also room to consider how um, how these loans and how these um, collaborations, if we can call them that, actually materialized in the first place. So when you talk about colonialism in the more, I think, the conventional sense, it is how the oppressor just tries to do things their way in um, the country that they are trying to colonize. But In terms of how China is actually distributing all these loans, you can see that they embark on a policy of what we can call non-interference in a sense that is very different from how the Western countries or how um, international, um, I think the IMF, uh, how these organizations actually conduct their loans practices in a sense that China just doesn't interfere in whatever that they want to do, which, you know, can say that it gives rise to an increased risk of corruption, but at the same time, this is a thing that actually entices some African states to having these agreements with China in the first place. So it's not, in the most definite sense, I think, colonialism. It's not neo-imperialism in that sense, because it's a fully, I think, consensual, a consensual agreement in the first place. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. Well, it doesn't resemble colonialism at all because yeah as you mentioned it is consensual in some ways but if we do look at the definition of neocolonialism I think it's defined as the use of economic political cultural or other pressures to control influence other countries especially former dependencies so yeah they are kind of using you know um, loans to uh, influence countries and we can see that with like um, just China's view of trying to export its viewpoint like in terms of wanting like allegiance in the UN although it's quite tacit so it's not um, said but it's like an unspoken thing where they are looking to gain support on the world stage through their practices so I would still define it as neocolonialism. Yeah I think with money now being in the picture and how we talked about the debt trap now now that it's in a picture it resembles more of neocolonialism, although we also have to keep in mind that whatever that's taking place in the UN, trying to uh, form a block with Africa, things like that, they have been going on since the past, since before this whole thing even started. So, but yeah, I agree. I mean, money always complicates things, so. Um, just to add to Lisa's and Min's point, I would also say we should also consider the reasons why African countries can't get debt from other places and other sources, because they could also play a part in why we've why African countries have possibly 
falling into this debt trap because uh, the credit ratings from the IMF, for example, mean that African countries can't get debt from normal banks, which other countries would traditionally use to get debt. So it's also important to consider the other countries apart from China as well. Yeah, I think it might also be a part of this global phenomenon of this this illusionment after you know decades of aid projects from um, from the West that still well particularly in Africa it still results in this underdevelopment that we see. So I think it's not just an Afri- Sino Africa thing. Like Stephen is right, we should also look at how it all works out globally. In this whole portrayal about the US, no, Minjin, no, you made a really good point about how it's not just in China-Africa relations, you also see it elsewhere in the world. And when you think of uh, the US and like its cultural hegemony, do you think that that's sort of um, another manifestation of neocolonialism or not? Um, I think that's a very loaded question. I don't think I've read up enough about it to actually give a more, like a measured opinion. But I think from what I think we've all mentioned earlier is that every country has their own interests in mind. Perhaps some of our African counterparts would tend to say that their leaders need to take their country's interests in mind better. But I think when we view the US-China discourse, it's always with the lens of how both countries are sort of fighting for dominance. Maybe not hegemony, but I think dominance is like perhaps a better word for it. So I'm not sure if you can call it imperialism because, you know, like that's quite a strong word to use and I don't think I've read up enough about it. But I think a lot of it boils down to the conflict between two strong powers. Like in Mandarin, you know, there's this idiom that goes like there can't be two lions on a mountain. (laughs) So two tigers, I mean, two tigers. (laughs) So that is what's playing out here. There, There just can't be too many strong players on the global arena. Which, you know, it's how the Cold War came about. Yeah, um, off the back of that and mentioning something that Stephen said, I do think it's a bit different um, with the US because they have that whole background of, you know, how they've mistreated Africans and everything. So I think they're a lot more careful in the way they approach Africa, whereas China doesn't have that history. So I think it's viewed a bit differently. And also just the fact that China, it outputs so much, so it really does need the resources. There's more um, like motivation behind it in comparison to the US, which doesn't like, export as much as China does. Yes, I think uh, one important distinction between China and um, the US is that many, um, as well as countries, are more dependent or relying more on the export, exports of um, China than of the US. And uh, therefore, China has um, more force and more impact on on these countries. While the U.S. government still applies a lot of coercion, but it does not create the same dependence um, that puts countries, even rich countries, into this dilemma of whether they should go with the trade deal and the the economic benefits, or whether they should restrain concerns, for example, human rights concerns, um, but also the impact of China on African countries. Yeah, I guess looking at it um, in terms of like foreign policy, the US is aggressive in this foreign policy to other countries compared to China. China is much more submissive, if that makes sense. The US is a lot more aggressive overall because they've tried to play the role of the big brother of the world. 
and every other country in the world where so they try not to hold China in check, whereas China's much more, yeah, let's find a way to like go about this without making it seem as aggressive as the US would do, because if the US were to do the same thing, they'd probably do it in a much more aggressive manner. Absolutely. Just to bring the discussion back to Asian-African relations, we qualify the relevancy of determining China's investment and involvement as neocolonial and discuss briefly over its non-intervention policy and how it compares to actions by the US or European countries. Our discussion over these three episodes has opened up like new narratives, proving it difficult to term China-Africa relations as being collaboration. And given the narratives about China's involvement being neocolonial and exploitative in both economic and political senses, is there common ground for solidarity between the two regions? I would actually say that that is um, difficult because I think one problem with the kind of cultural background and also the political systems is that China has fundamentally different political systems to Western societies. Um, obviously, due to the colonial history, um, many African citizens are also not too fond of uh, the European systems, but um, also what they are experiencing are also more authoritative systems that resemble the regime of China more in our own countries, which are those governments that are corrupt and malfunctioning. So I don't think that the political philosophy of China, which is evident in really every single one of their actions, is very appealing to African citizens. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But that was a really insightful note to end on. Again, thank you so much for joining me today. We've managed to cover a lot of ground in terms of discussion over the past three episodes. And so if you've enjoyed today's discussion, we'd really like to encourage you to listen to the other episodes in the series. Finally, thank you for tuning into the mini podcast series on China-Africa relations, co-produced between UCL Asian Affairs and UCL African Conference. This has been Angela, Stephen, Minjing, Lisa, Larissa and Hafsa, who joined us for an early episode. Dear listener, if you would like to find out more about issues in Africa, UCLAC is hosting their much-anticipated conference on 13th February 2021, and we would love to see you there. If you found this episode to be educational and learned something from this, do recommend this podcast to your friends and family by word of mouth or on social media. Tag us at UCL Asiatic Affairs and at the UCLAC on Instagram or Facebook. We would love to hear all of your thoughts on this episode. Again, thank you so much for staying with us, and stay tuned for another episode. We are Asiatic Affairs and UCL African Conference, and this is Narratives of Asia.